0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Happy New Year. Oh, you could do better than that. Happy New Year. There you are. How fun to start out the new year and to start it out here. First Sunday, I just want to say, welcome to 2010, welcome to a new year, welcome to a new decade, huh? I was praying through the prayer request from last week, and uh, somebody from the church submitted a prayer request that said, let's pray that the new decade is a little easier than the one we just completed. (laughs) And you know, I think that'd be great. And uh, so that was a fun prayer uh, to pray. Uh, throughout the week and uh, again to pray again this morning that uh, God would be gracious and kind to us. I know that if you look back over the last decade, uh, many of us have transitioned from jobs to other jobs and hopefully not too many of us have transitioned from jobs to no job, Uh, although we almost always have people who are in that particular stage. Some of us have transitioned from homes that we owned to homes that we don't own, and that was a tough transition. And, um, uh, and yet, even on our worst days, there are millions of people in this world who would trade places with us in a heartbeat because we're disappointed that we no longer own a home and they can't even imagine living in one. And uh, so uh, sometimes those are really helpful perspectives to have And uh, so I want to say a couple of other things to you before I get started with the message. And that is, God has this wonderful way of designing life so that we get fresh starts. So He he set all of life up in cycles. So we have days, and every morning we kind of get a fresh start. So often I'm so grateful for that. Do you ever go to bed at night and think, man, am I glad this day's over? And I'm glad. Am I ever glad I get kind of a fresh start tomorrow? Have you ever thought about that if God never made you to where you needed sleep and it was just one continual experience after another, after another, how exhausted we would be in that process. So God made cycles days and weeks and months and years. And uh, so we, we stand at the beginning of a new year and a new decade. I want to read to you just some simple verses from from the Bible about that and how that each one of those has sort of a fresh start for us. Take a look at these three verses. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes when? In the morning. Yeah, it's that fresh new start. Lamentations, the Lord's love never ends. His mercies never stop. They are new. When? Every morning. Lord, your faithfulness is great. And as God was setting up His, the Old Testament nation of Israel, here's what He said. This is what the Sovereign Lord says in early spring, on the first day of each new year, I want you to sacrifice a young bull with no defects. For what purpose? To purify my temple. And I've thought, th- thought about that in my own life, and how great it is for me at the beginning of every year to do something that renews my purity and my desire for purity before God so he can come and live in my heart and live in a place that's not filled with junk and bitterness and anger and frustration and all the things that sometimes we can collect in there and that God can have a nice, clean, pure, beautiful place. And so I hope this morning in the context of this particular service that you can kind of take your spiritual broom and start sweeping out the junk of your life, and that by the time that you and I leave this morning, we can leave with the place clean and 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 having a good direction set uh, for this coming year. And uh, so would you just bow with me? And we're going to say a short prayer. Lord, at the beginning of this year, we're so grateful that you give us the opportunity for new beginnings, that you give us new mercies every morning, and that uh, as we come to you in these cycles of life, that you are willing to give us a fresh start. So Lord, would you help us to start fresh this year, to lay the groundwork for a healthy, happy, and productive year. And Lord, would you take our eyes and put them where they belong and not necessarily always where we want them to be. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. A couple of welcomes. First of all, to those of you who are new to New Life, and I've met a number of you already this morning, I want to say, hey, welcome. And I, I have no idea where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're you new to town and so you're just going to start out the year right and go to church and hopefully set a pattern in your life. I want to support you in that and I, and I, want, to, I want to say whatever I can to encourage you in that. Uh, some of you may just be Boy, you got no church background. You're thinking, I I need to look into this. Wherever you are uh, in that journey, I just want to say welcome. Because I can tell you this for sure, that nothing will change your life like getting connected with God. And nothing will satisfy the deepest and innermost longings of your own soul and spirit. And we all have them. Nothing will satisfy that like connecting with God. And when you look around the audience and you see the rest of us, we weren't born connected with God, I can tell you that for sure. It was along the way that someone introduced us to that and the reason that we're here, and the reason that we're here every Sunday is because we have found in that connection the fountain of life. And and, and it's a great thing. It's life-giving. So I just want to say welcome to the journey. For those of you who are here every Sunday... Um, I love doing life with you guys. So I I just have looked forward to coming to church this morning and being with you. Treasure the opportunity to share life and ministry with you. And so I want to say a special welcome to you. Thanks for being great partners in ministry. Thank you for being great friends, great partners in life. And uh, let's look forward to 2010. It's a great year. God's got some great things in store for us as we walk with Him. So now... Open the, your programs and take out, if you would, the, the fill-in-the-blank notes, and, and uh, here we go. We're starting a brand new series, and it's called Integrated Faith. And if you look on the front of your program and you look up here, you see some puzzle pieces, and that's not because we're puzzled, okay? It is because puzzle pieces mean nothing until you put them together, correct? Correct. No one has ever taken a piece out of a puzzle and said to you, "Is that not one beautiful piece right there? Look at that because an individual piece of a puzzle means nothing until you connect it with all the rest of it and we 're going to take a look at our faith and we're going to and, and hopefully what we 're going to learn as we walk through this is that if you take our faith and, and, and you separate it from the rest of our life. And you just look at faith by itself, it's not actually all that pretty. But when faith becomes interconnected to all the rest of life, it becomes beautiful and it's wonderful. So we're going to talk about a fully integrated faith. How do we do that? Well, you know, I'm a little bit of a football fan, and uh, so I watched a little bit of football over the last week. And... uh, no, I have not watched, I don't know how many of those games there are. I, I, I couldn't endure all that, but I, I hand-selected a few. But I can tell you this, the football world was shocked by an announcement by uh, the head football coach at the University of Florida, Urban Meyer, who took the mic and said he was resigning as the head football coach of the University of Florida. And I want you to think about this for a minute. <clears throat> Over the last decade, there's no coach in college football that's been more successful than Urban Meyer. He's won two national championships in the last five years. His first head coaching job was at Bowling Green University where he took a perennial cellar dweller and turned them into a conference champion. He was there only three years, and then he got hired by the University of Utah. He went to the University of Utah in the Mountain West Conference. He turned that program from a nothing into, uh, into, they had an undefeated season contending for a BCS bowl game. He was there only three or four years, and he got hired by the University of Florida, which had fallen on very hard times under the previous coach, Coach Zook. And in six years at the University of Florida, uh, seven years now, he's 57 wins and only 10 losses and two national championships. He makes $4 million a year. Okay, Why would he resign? He cited three reasons. I want you to hear them clearly. Faith, family, and health. You know what those are? Those are the fundamentals of life. I was struck by another coach. Uh, what another coach said the other day he said, "You know, the amazing thing about football is most games are not decided on fluke plays. Most games are decided by whichever team actually executes the fundamentals consistently across the from the start to the finish of the game. It's not won by gadgets and tricks. It's won by fundamentals." And I realized as I listened to Urban Meyer talking. I realized that what he was saying and what the other coach was saying is that in the long run of life, it's not what you do at Christmas or Valentine's Day or Easter or, or on your wedding anniversary that determines how your life and marriage goes. Does that make sense to everybody? It's what you do. Today is January the 3rd. Perhaps what you do on the 3rd is not as important as what you do on the 4th and the fifth, and the sixth. And I want you to hear that message clearly, because at the bottom line, every football team has to know how to block and tackle. Isn't that correct? Or you're not going to win. I don't care how well you can throw or catch. If you can't block and tackle, you can't win. And in life, the fundamentals are the most important. So in this first sermon series, we're going to look at the fundamentals of life. And we're going to look at that integrated faith. You know, Urban stepped back from his life and he said, it's time for me to look at the big picture. And I want to tell you what that did for him. You see, up until this point, football had been pretty much everything for Urban and he was actually very, very good at it. That's how you get paid $4 million a year. You have to be pretty good at that. And that was the most important thing in his life. And he spent the rest of his life trying to figure out how can I fit in around the demands of football in my life? How can I fit my family into that? How can I fit my friends into that? How can I fit my health into that? How can I fit my faith into that? And he had a moment of call it an epiphany, call it whatever you want, when he stepped back and he looked at that and said, I've got that backwards. You know what I really need to do I really need to put my faith where it belongs. I need to put my family where it belongs. I need to put my health where it belongs. And then I need to find a way to flow football around that. Now, you know what I find amazing? There are many of us in this room who don't get paid $4 million a year, and we still don't have football in the right place in our life. Hmm. Now I went to really preaching, didn't I? (laughs) Yeah. I love football. I love golf. I love sports. I like a lot of things. But friends, whether it's football or golf or whatever else it is, those are supposed to be diversions from the main things in life. And when you find yourself living for the diversions, you have set yourself up, for a life of misery and failure. I can tell you that for sure. So I want to talk to you about the basics this morning, getting back to the basics. So what is the big picture? Well, Urban stepped back, and he got the big picture of his life. If you would with me this morning, I want you to step back even further than Urban did. I want you to step out of your own life and step all the way back and, and look at the world and say, what is the really, really, big picture. So I want to take you to the big picture. Here it is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and it's our focus teaching for this sermon. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can lead peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world. Now, friends... That's the really, really big picture. And I have one more thing that I want to say to you before I get in and teach you about that Scripture. And that is, as we begin to break out that focused teaching, I'm pretty sure it's going to make a number of us in this room, maybe all of us to some degree, it's going to make us squirm and feel a little uncomfortable. I, don't, I take no pleasure in that. Uh, I want you to know I'm going to deliver everything I say in love, but I also want you to know that sometimes when you peel the onion, it makes you cry, right? Okay? And as we peel back the layers of this truth and this teaching, I, I want you to know that this is not so much my message to you as this is God's message to all of us because it's going to make me squirm too. It already has as I've received it from God and been praying about it this week. And so, But I don't want you then to put up your defenses and go, okay, you're not going to make me cry. It's not about that. But, but, but I want us to just cut away all the layers of life and say, so why are we here? What is the really big purpose in life? And how can we put that front and center in our lives and flow the other things that really are not nearly as important as that? How do we flow those in and around it? And then I want to encourage you and call you to do that in your life. So here we go. Here, here are the major points. I've only got one, and I'm calling it the big picture. So here it is. God's one and only goal for this world is to redeem all of its people. Now, as soon as you write the word all in there, I want you to look back up at the video screens and I want you to read that with me. Ready? Let's read it together. God's one and only goal for this world is to redeem all of its people. Friends, that is the one and only picture in life that actually makes any difference. Um, It's trivial to say that that's more important than football, right? Everybody has that figured out. But do you realize that that's more important than your own personal comfort in life? It's actually more important than than most of the things that you and I actually pray about in life. Yes, I pray for healing for people and I pray for jobs for people and I pray for houses for people and and I pray for marital reconciliation. And friends, those are all good things and to some degree those are all important things but they are not nearly as important as that. And it's not until we understand that and embrace that one truth fully into our lives and we begin to order our lives around that truth that the rest of it can actually make any sense. I want you to consider the phrases that were in that one passage of Scripture. Here they are. Take a look. He said, first of all, I want you to pray for whom? All people. Not just your neighbors. Pray for all people. Secondly, he said this. God wants whom? Everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. The third thing he said was this. God wants to reconcile humanity. Is that rather wide-reaching in its scope? Yeah, humanity to himself. Fourthly, he said this. God gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And one more. This is the message that God gave to whom? To the world. I want you to write this down in the margin somewhere in your notes. And this is where it makes us squirm a little bit. The truth is God has a far bigger heart than most Christians. Here's what I mean by that. God loves people you and I don't really love. Yeah. We, we love to work with people who are our friends. And, I, and that's great. and And we pray for people that we're kind of drawn to. And 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 we understand that God wants this person to become a Christian. But you know, God doesn't just stop with the people who are nice and lovely and that, that He's naturally drawn to. By the way, I have a feeling that if God only saved the people He was naturally drawn to, that the chairs would be empty this morning. Because... We're not all that lovely in our raw form, I can tell you that. Yeah. That's an important concept for us to get. That God has a bigger heart. You know what that means? It means He sees people differently than you and I see them. Maybe especially the ones that we don't see very well. He hears them differently than you and I hear them. I want to challenge all of us this morning In 2010 and in this coming decade to say, God, would you take my eyes and begin to transform my eyes so I can see everyone, not just my neighbor, not just my friends, not just my co-workers. I want to be able to see everyone as you see them. Even the guy or the gal who's standing at the end of the driveway with a cardboard sign that says, we'll work for money, but probably won't. Ever wonder how God sees that? Even the neighbor who frustrates and irritates you. You ever ask God, would you help me to see them the way you see them? To hear them the way that you hear them. Because the truth is, because God sees them differently than we see them, and He hears them differently than we hear them, He's willing to do things for them that we're not willing to do for them. He's willing to make sacrifices for them that oftentimes you and I are not willing to make. What did our focused teaching say? He gave His life to purchase freedom for them. Yeah. So that's the big challenge. That's the really, really big picture. And in all that God calls us to do as a church together, and all that God calls us to do as individuals On this journey, it all has to fit into that big picture. And friends, if you were to take the pieces of the puzzles of each of our lives and begin to put them together, and you put all those pieces together, they should point in one and only one direction, and that is that God is using us, God is using me as an individual, and us as a church to redeem His world. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. 2010? And in this decade, that's what God's calling us to. It's an absolutely great calling. And yet, there are a couple of dangers in that big picture. Let me take a look. Let me take you to those two dangers. Because as we begin to get on with this, the first danger to that is this. And that is a compartmentalized faith. Let me read you a quote from John Stott, and then I'm going to read you the passage of Scripture that's up there on this screen. Because it's pretty obvious that if God's going to redeem the world, He's going to do it through the church, right? He's not not going to write it in the clouds or in the sky. He's going to do it through the church. John Stott wrote this, Our Christian habit is to bewail the world's deteriorating standards with an air of rather self-righteous dismay. We criticize its violence, its dishonesty, its immorality, its disregard for human life, and its materialistic greed. The world is going down the drain, we say with a shrug. But whose fault is it? And who is to blame? Well, let me put it like this. If the house is dark when nightfall comes, there's no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where's the light? Similarly, if the meat goes bad and becomes inedible, there's no sense in blaming the meat. That's what happens when bacteria are left alone to breed. The question to ask is, where's the salt? Just... So if society deteriorates and its standards decline and until it becomes like a dark night or a stinking piece of fish, there's no sense in blaming society. So what happens when fallen men and women are left to themselves and human selfishness is left unchecked? The question is, where's the church? Why are the salt and light of Jesus Christ not permeating and changing our society. It is sheer hypocrisy on our part to raise our eyebrows, shrug our shoulders, or wring our hands. The Lord Jesus told us to be the world's salt and light. If therefore the darkness and rottenness abound, it is largely our fault and we must accept the blame. Does that make you squirm a little bit? that's me. And I got to say that he's, he just kind of peeled the onion back and said, that's how it is. And it's true. Now he was referring to this passage of scripture in John, in um, Matthew chapter five, you are the salt of the earth. That's what Jesus said. But what good is salt? If it has lost its flavor, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket instead. The lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. What a great passage of Scripture. What a great thought. I, I, want you, I want to give you two principles about salt and about light, and here they are. The first is a compartmentalized faith. This is the first danger, and and this is really going to be uh, about the salt part of this. And that is, you know, if you put salt only on one little part of the meat, okay, is it really going to preserve and help the taste of the rest of it? No. And, and the, the faith that most of us have either inherited from the homes that we grew up in or from the churches we grew up in or even from how our culture does faith, it tends to be a compartmentalized faith. Faith is what I exercise on Sunday morning, not necessarily what I exercise on Monday when I go to work. And so I do my faith thing, and it's quite possible to get up in the morning, even have your personal devotion time with God, and then, okay, we button that up, we lock the door on that, now we go out and we we live real life. And that's a danger. There's not a person sitting in this room that isn't in danger of doing that. Because I don't care how long you've been a Christian, if you are a Christian, you've lived days where you did exactly that. And Christ is calling us to this fully integrated faith that, that, that it's not a niche faith. It's not a compartmentalized faith. It's... Well, let's look at it like this. Virtually everyone in this room has a computer. And on your computer, you have um, a couple of things. You have an operating system, and then you have software. The operating system governs everything that your computer does, and a piece of software governs only a very small portion of what your computer does in a specific application. God doesn't want our faith to be a piece of software we add to our life. You understand? It's got to be the operating system that controls the whole environment of our lives. And that's what God calls us to. And one of the dangers that we have, oh, I see, God is good. God is great. I'm willing to add him to my life. So where's the corner that I'm going to carve out for God? No, that's that's backwards. My life belongs to him. He's called us to an integrated faith that doesn't just change my language, it changes my marriage. It doesn't just change where I go on Sunday morning. It changes how I live each and every day of my life. It doesn't just change uh, how I, I, I respond to people at work, but it changes how I work. One of the bowls that I watched was the Chick-fil-A bowl. It's kind of a funny name, is it not? Chick-fil-A? Anyhow, <clears throat> it was an interesting bowl. But one of the things that that just captured my attention were the color commentators on TV. Because they they kept talking about this is the best bowl experience we've ever had. And they weren't actually even talking about the game on the field. They were talking about the, the whole experience of the bowl and how that particular bowl game was falling on hard times but that a businessman had come along and he had decided to adopt that bowl and he had pumped in millions of dollars and he had made it into probably the best bowl experience of any of the 34 bowls that are going to take place in the NCAA um, this season. More than any other bowl, this particular bowl donates to charitable causes. More than any of the others. $1.2 million last year had donated to charitable causes all on its own. They said, how'd that happen? They said, well, we sat down and we had lunch yesterday with the owner of Chick-fil-A. Can't remember the guy's last name, but his first name was Truett. And Truett is a very, very devout Christian. And and Chick-fil-A's are like, Kentucky Fried Chickens, except they're mostly in the southeast and in the south. But if you ever go to a Chick-fil-A, you'll never go there on Sunday because they're closed on Sundays. Major food chain closed on Sundays. Why? Because he wants his employees to go to church. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. And they said, you know, we sat and visited with him. Now, Now, Truett is 88 years of age. And you could tell he blew these guys away because they were saying... You've donated millions of dollars. You came in. You rescued this bowl. You've made it the best bowl experience. You, con- you contribute more money to, char- to charities than any of the other bowls. How did you do this? And he said, Well, you know, I started out selling peanuts in the stands at the University of Georgia football games. And eventually I started a company and I just built it. They said, Well, what did you found it on? He said, I'll tell you what I founded it on. You ready? Here it is. That each one of us should consider other people more important than ourselves. He said, that Bible verse is the foundation of my entire company. I teach it to every employee. I teach it to every manager. I teach it... By the way, do you think Truett has figured out integrated faith? He's got it. And he's blessed millions of people. So I want to encourage you and me, Yeah, we may not found a company that, that generates millions or billions of dollars, but I can tell you this, if we will choose to make our faith throughout our whole life and not just in a compartment, then God can do amazing things through each of us. The second danger is this, and that is that we would have only half a gospel. What do I mean by half a gospel? Why don't you think of the gospel as a coin, and a coin has two sides. And the one side is the faith side, and the other side is the works side. And if you study church history, you'll find out that most churches spend most of their time on one side of that coin or the other, but they, never, they rarely split it half and half. And so there are churches that are mostly faith-oriented, and they say salvation is the most important thing, and salvation is based upon what we believe about Jesus. And our job as a church is to go out and teach people you need to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if you do that one time in your life, you're going to go to heaven. And our job is to get you to do that. And it's all about what you believe. Okay. Then the flip side of the coin is there are churches that say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Christ came to bring healing to a, to a world. Christ came to speak compassion into the lives of people who were struggling and suffering. And Christ came to be a minister of health and life. And, and, and so we have been called to come in partnership with him. And our job is to work on, on, the, on social injustice and all those things that plague our world. And these are people who work all the time to bring about good in our, in our world. Now, the interesting thing is when churches decide they're going to spend all or most of their time on one side of that coin or the other, what we end up with is a divided church and half a gospel. Does either of those sound good? No. If you have half the ingredients of a recipe and you mix it up, are you on board to eat that? Not me. That is not going to be good because you've got to have it all. So Christ calls us not to half a gospel, but all of a gospel. Is it important what we believe? Yes, salvation is found only in Christ and only in trusting Him to bring forgiveness in our lives and believing that His death paid the penalty for our sins. Friends, that's, that's heart of the gospel, but that's not all of the gospel because Jesus didn't come just so people could believe a truth or two. He came to change our lives and our world. He wants to redeem the entire world and He wants us to be part of it. So the flip side of that is that we would be involved in both. Now, here's the application. Light does no good when it is confined and compartmentalized. And salt does no good when it has been robbed of its power to bless and influence everything it touches. So, I want to go to a big question. And the big question is this Will you and I partner with Jesus to redeem and transform all of his world? And, friends, that's the most important question I could ask you at the beginning of this year or any year of this decade or any decade. Will you and I partner? I didn't notice I didn't say, well, you and I come to church consistently so God can do something in our lives. You see, we're Americans. We think it's all about us, right? I come to church because I want God to change my life. I come to church because I want to find friends that I like. I come to church because I like the way the worship band sounds. Now, friends, I like all those things. And to some degree, all those are good. But if that's where it stops, if I come to church for me, how it makes me feel, what Jesus does in my life, then I have missed the big picture. That begs a question, what if I say to God, I'm on board with Christianity, I like the way you're changing my life, but I'm not real hep on giving my life to transform the world. How do you think Christ would respond to that? things pretty clear. He would say, if you're not going to get on board with me and help redeem my world, then why should I change your life? Does that make sense to you? It makes sense to me. And that's what God calls us to. It's a great challenge. I wrote it in my notes. It's the opportunity of a lifetime to partner with God. I've never had a celebrity asked to partner with me on anything have you probably not but i have had the god of the universe say to me ron would you partner with me on the greatest thing that could ever happen in this world and at the beginning of this year i definitely want to say yes god i'm fully on board I want the faith that you've given me to touch every part of my life, not to be compartmentalized. And I want my life to make a difference in this community. And so I'm going to be intentional about that. I want to give us a couple of minutes just to pause and reflect and to ask ourselves, will I partner with Jesus to transform his world this year? And will I be willing to make whatever sacrifices he calls me to make in order to do that. We have a couple of things, because we recognize that as a church, it's so fun to call you into places of partnership with God, and so good and so healthy. But it's also good for us to put tools in your hands. It's one thing to say, yeah, go out and transform the world. It's another thing to say, you know, here's a hammer and saw to help you get that done. So here's some tools that we're going to give you, and uh, so I want you to take full advantage of them. First of all, the basic tools that God has given us in this church to get that done are are the tools of connect, develop, and serve. And you can write those in your margins somewhere. Connect, develop, and serve. In fact, the mission that God has given this church is connecting people to Him and others, developing them as followers of Christ, and moving them into lifestyles of service. You can see how that has both sides of that coin. And so, uh, over the next three weeks, next week, I'm going to bring a whole message on how to connect with God and other people. It's called Faith Links us, and uh, so that—that's what that's about. The following week, we're going to have a whole message on how to develop as a follower of Christ, and uh, so, and then the the, the final week, we're going to have a message on how to move into a lifestyle of service and how faith ignites us to serve, redeem, and transform our world. So, connect, develop, and serve. I want to encourage you to come. Uh, and take those messages in and then uh, apply them to your life. A second tool that we're going to put in your hands that you're going to get as you leave this morning is a a simple sheet of paper. You're going to get a, a different one of these each week for the next four weeks. And we're going to take a spiritual journey together. If you've been around New Life for a while, you know that periodically God calls us on a spiritual journey. It's a, it's a time of focused uh, journey together in spiritual growth and development. And uh, so it's a little bit different this time. Previously, we've given you a devotional booklet. This time, we're going to give you a sheet. On the sheet, it's going to have a number of things. First of all, um, it's going to have a date at the top, so it'll tell you which week that particular sheet is for. The one I'm holding in my hand is January 3rd through January 9th. It's today through Saturday. The theme is right at the top. It's called Changing. No no mir- uh, no surprise there, right? Because faith changes everything and it should. Um there there's the sermon title that this particular set of devotions is based on. Underneath that is a memory verse. Isn't that fun? Shake your head like this. Isn't that fun? It is going to be fun. Yeah. I taught you a memory verse not too long ago. See if you can finish it, okay? Draw near to God and... Yeah, have you thought of that any time in the meantime? Sure you have. The best thing you could ever put in your heart is God's Word. So we're going to have a memory verse. The one for this week is this. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life was gone and the new has come. So there you go. Now... We have a couple of suggested challenges. The first thing I want you to do when you get this is take your pencil and cross out suggested. (laughs) Those of you who are really quick got that, all right? And here they are, okay? Commit to take this entire spiritual journey. It's 28 days. Commit to take the entire spiritual journey. I won't read all the rest of what it says but I want to challenge you to do that. I want to encourage you to accept the challenge and say, yeah, I'm on board for 28 days. I'm going to grow with the rest of the church. And the second challenge is this, to identify through prayer and the reading of God's Word, what is next on God's agenda for you as you partner with Him in it. Because that's how you're going to grow and develop. And then there are Monday through Friday, so there's five daily Scripture readings for you to read that are all about that theme and different aspects of that theme. So you're going to get one of those every week. You'll get one on the way out this morning. And I want to encourage you, take the journey, grow, enjoy, and allow God to challenge and grow you because as we do that, 2010 in this decade will be great. Thank you.